This is Museum People, a podcast that celebrates individuals connected with the museum field by highlighting their work, passions, opinions, and personalities. In each episode, you'll hear stories and viewpoints from a variety of museum people, unsung workers to executive directors, volunteers to trustees, as they help change the world one visitor at a time. And now, the hosts of Museum People, Dan Yeager and Marika Van Dam. Hey, Dan. <laughs> Take us out to the great outdoors. Well, I have to say, I spent a lot of nights in a tent. Really? Yeah. Oh, good for you. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I was, listen, early on in my life, I was an avid hiker, Boy Scout. Eagle early Scout? On. No, oh. I had the merit badges, didn't do the project. Oh, It was a little, little rebellion. <laughs> My mom wanted me to. My son got an Eagle Scout, though, in my honor. He right said on. it was because Aww. of But no, I spent a lot of time doing that. I grew up in uh, St. Louis, so I did a lot of whitewater canoeing down in the Ozarks and uh, learned how to rock climb. And I even became a cross-country skier in St. Louis. Like, there's no snow here, but somehow I owned a pair of skis. It's really funny. So talking with Becky Fullerton of the AMC uh, was, was very special to me. Marika, how many nights have you spent out under the stars? <laughs> Zero. <laughs> really? <laughs> I grew up in the country, but it turns out I'm a city girl. Yeah. And I will never live anywhere where there isn't a sidewalk, is my rule. <laughs> um, so when we go on vacation, it, it's often a battle between me and my husband. He loves museums, um, but he also loves just hiking. So mm. we, we often split our time between going to the cities on some vacations and then on other vacations going hiking or yeah. combining them where we can. Right. It's so important to get outside. Um, even though I grew up in the country, you know, I did, I, I climbed mm. trees and I got dirty and I, I did all that. And um, mm. yes. nature has that restorative effect. Absolutely. That's why I was very interested to talk to Becky Fulton. She's got some really interesting insights on both the AMC and museums. Well, how do you know Becky? Through a NEMA networking event nice. a bunch of years ago. I remember we had a networking event in Boston and you know she was there at this uh, thing and I just went up to her. She said she's Becky Fullerton and uh, she works for the Appalachian Mountain Club. And I'm like, what? What are you doing here? Interloper? You don't mm. work for a museum. But no, she'd been in museums for many years, she said, and uh, she worked for the AMC. And I was very intrigued because she was a you know, a fellow, fellow outdoor enthusiast. Can you say fellow to a woman? I think so, right? I'm uh, not sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know. I'm trying Why, to be... What, what I'm else trying to would be, you listen, say? You anointed me a feminist. I want to make sure that I've got the <laughs> verbiage down. But anyway, you know, she's an artist. She has many sides, and they all seem to connect. It's what I find interesting. That's why museum people are the best. Yeah, and we've let's, always got some side gig going. <laughs> ain't that the truth? Well, yeah. let's give a listen to your interview with Becky. All right. Hey, man. My name is Becky Fullerton. I am the archivist for the Appalachian Mountain Club here in Boston. I also work part-time as an archivist for Boston Children's Hospital. 
And I'm an artist, mostly watercolor, but also I dabble in oil painting. You actually sell your art? You have a following. I try. I try to have a following, um, mostly to get it off of my walls and onto somebody else's. So I'm on all the, the social media, Twitter and Instagram, and um, as R.M. Fullerton. That's my official name. So how does an artist get involved in archives? Well, I started out as an art history major in my undergrad life, and I was also a studio art double major person. So I thought I would be a famous artist by night and then a museum person by day so that I could pay the rent until I was famous. <laughs> but um, but now it's I really love the archives world, which I stumbled into from being in museums and seeing all this cool stuff in their back rooms and hidden away. And then I stumbled into libraries where there was a similar situation going on. And then I ended up in my current job at AMC where there was lots of cool archive stuff. So I had to figure out how to be an archivist also. The path going from art history, studio art to museum studies you got a museum studies degree and then into uh, into archives what what do you say sort of fueled that whole nexus in you is there a common thread mostly that my kind of outdoor interests actually that's the other sort of key piece is that i've always been a hiker outdoors person paddling running and i worked for the amc in the capacity of a summer employee working out in the woods and then this museum thing came along and I was really just interested in general history and museum collections. And then when I discovered this library slash archives job at AMC, I thought, wow, here's a place with lots of really cool history about hiking and recreation. And I'm really into that stuff. <laughs> so it's this ultimate combination of all of these things that I'm already interested in. So it all kind of lined up. What museums did you work in? Uh, I started out at um, the Shelburne Museum in Vermont was my first internship. And I worked just doing inventory on a back lot in a tractor trailer truck, which was super cool, except for the mice. Um, and the Big Apple Circus was there for the summer and they staked their elephants next to my tractor trailer truck. So I had to go by them a couple of times for a few days. Uh, and then I worked at the Lars Anderson Auto Museum over in Brookline for a little while. And then for Spinea, back before it was historic New England, I was a contract cataloger for them up at Marsh Billings Rockefeller National Historical Park. What is it uh, like just day to day for you? What do you do as an archivist for the Appalachian Mountain Club? I kind of wear all the hats in the archives. So I'm the reference person uh, answering all kinds of questions about trail history, some genealogical stuff, um, people researching various environmental topics. I write grant proposals for things that I want to fund for projects. I do all the processing from collections. So they come in in a cardboard box and I turn it into lovely acid-free folders in an acid-free box and, and do all the kind of data management stuff for that, finding aids, making it so that somebody can come in and actually find things in that collection and, and use it. And, um, and then the next person can come in and retrace their tracks 
day-to-day I work with our magazine that the AMC publishes. So we do um, lots of fact-checking and little history pieces for that and for our journal, Appalachia. And then I'm working on coordinating our move from one office to another. So all of our paper that we have sitting around is kind of in my wheelhouse to figure out what to do with all of that. Never a dull moment keeping you busy. And it's a part-time job? It is, yeah. And every single day is completely different. Well, part-time job, full-time expectations probably. Yes, very much. It keeps me up at night. (laughs) Actually, our listeners may not be familiar with the Appalachian Mountain Club. Why don't you give us the 30-second synopsis of what that's all about? Well, we are the country's oldest conservation, recreation, and outdoor education nonprofit. We operate on the idea that if we can get you outdoors, learning a skill, exploring a new area on the Northeast Coast or uh, New England, even as far as New York, Washington, D.C., Maine, that you will in turn become an advocate for the conservation of those wild, cool, awesome outdoor places. How is AMC similar to museums in your mind? um, Well, we... You know, we're kind of carrying on this legacy of keeping places wild and in a state of naturalness. We're trying to present our members with an authentic place the way that museums are trying to present viewers with an authentic object. You're able to go to somewhere way out in the mountains in the woods and experience that place as thousands of other people before you have experienced it. So that's there's kind of a similarity there. Do people experience nature the same way? Because in a museum, you typically find folks looking at a work of art, and everybody has sometimes very different experience. Is nature the same way, or is it different? Absolutely. Uh, there's Everybody kind of takes something different. There's the, there's the spiritual renewal aspect. There's this idea that comes to us from the you know 19th century of escaping the crowded smoggy city to go into nature and escape for a while and renew your soul and renew your you know your mind and your body and then some people just go for the sake of adventure they want to have an exciting moment in their lives they want to see some place that very few other people are able to get to. So there's, yeah, everybody goes for different different reasons. Younger generations that are using the wilderness, are they doing it differently than older generations? I think so. I mean, it's hard to, to kind of read into primary sources about, say, early 20th century hikers. If they were going in this kind of modern way of get out there, see everything you can, you know, pound up the trail as hard and fast as you can and see all of it and take a zillion pictures and a bunch of selfies and go back into the world and say, look at this amazing epic thing that I did. I Maybe they did. Maybe early 20th century people did the same thing. But I feel like there's this ethic of like, go harder and faster and and soak it all in and like sop it up like a sponge <laughs> this this kind of cool crazy i don't know maybe even like more fast paced idea of 
of nature these days. I still go to just be like really pokey slow and kind of puts around and is it the extreme extreme sports mentality maybe a little bit there's probably a little bit of that and um like drones <laughs> it's funny you say that because i was hiking earlier uh this year in the adirondacks and had a hard-fought climb up to the top of a mountain and as i got up there there's a group of people up there flying a drone around and i was trying to be kind of zen about it but this thing's buzzing me and then it's hovering over me and are you taking a video of me (laughs) you see that happening a lot definitely yeah and there's you know it's a hard it's kind of a hard pill to swallow because i think a lot of people think of nature and wilderness as a place that is where you know technology is is forbidden and shouldn't shouldn't be intruding but you know, you have people that are depending on GPS tools and technology and, you know, having a phone with with connectivity is kind of a safety net if you're way out in the middle of nowhere. Um, but then people want to use that technology to share, too. So it's it's like how much is too much and who's to say, you know, what what your experience should be like. So it's it's one of those kind of big questions out there right now. You dressed up in a costume from, what, like 1915, as I'm recalling, and hiked the White Mountains. Tell us a little bit about that and how you felt doing that. <laughs> yes, so... The summer before last, so typically I take about a week every summer and I go up and I visit the AMC's huts. We have eight backcountry huts that are all off the grid in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. And the year before last, we were celebrating the 100th anniversary of one of our huts at Lakes of the Clouds, which is on Mount Washington. And I thought as kind of a guerrilla archives marketing project slash fun experiment (laughs) i would dress up in a costume that was reflective of 100 years ago and see what that would have been like for uh just a general hiker of that era also for a woman of that era hiking uh essentially alone and so i had wool knickers knee-high pants and tall socks and leather boots and a wool sport jacket and a blouse, and I had to learn how to tie, like a tie, <laughs> which did not know how to do, um, and a cool boiled wool hat, and uh, I set off and went about 52, three miles in that costume, and I stayed at a different hut every night and got lots of funny looks. People would either kind of just give me side eye and move on, or they would stop and be like, what? what are you doing? (laughs) So it was a great way to kind of talk with people and say, here's what I'm about and here's where I'm from and where I'm going and what I'm up here doing and, um, and kind of get their take on, well, what do you think it would have been like to hike then? And what do you think people would have eaten then? And, you know, what did they think of the mountains and Mm. were these, were these trails here and was it harder? Was it, you know, more difficult or was it easier or all those kind of questions you think about from your personal experience though what was it like the difference because i presume you don't hike that way all the time was it in fact harder hotter sweatier or did it really not make that much difference (laughs) it's definitely sweatier um i think 
I based on my research of kind of the costume and what I would need, I don't think I looked quite into enough into like clothing weights and things. So like the wool pants that I had were really serious heavy wool pants. So I would be like I'd climb a slope and it was it'd be really steep and it was July, so it was hot. It was just really it was one of the hottest weeks I think in July. So I would just be sweating buckets going uphill. And I thought, oh my God, these people were nuts. What were they thinking? This is awful. Did, did you take the hat off? I took the hat off. I took the jacket off. I had like, you know, silk blouse and my, my neckerchief tie thing on. Um, but you'd get up to the summit and the wind would blow and it, like everything was really breathable and the fabrics are really um, comfortable in that situation. And then going downhill, it's like, oh, okay, this isn't so bad. And then you go up the next hill and it's like, oh God, I hate my life right now. (laughs) Um, But in the rain and the cold and um, kind of nasty weather, wool really does kind of prove it's, it's worth. It stays warm even when it gets wet. And it's definitely kind of coming back as the new miracle fiber for hiking these days and there's something to be said for it so there was a day that i crossed the presidential range in completely socked in clouds and rain and i got to my destination and i was toasty warm so there's it it has some advantages it was definitely very stylish i will say (laughs) i cut quite the figure (laughs) up there Tell me what the difference is, say, a hundred years ago, as a woman hiking or experiencing the outdoors versus today. Um, I mean, at that time, it's very likely I would not have been hiking alone. There were very few instances that I'm aware of of, of women doing that. So. Why is that? Just that kind of chaperone culture of you're not quite capable of of enduring this and also not getting into trouble <laughs> i think was the general idea you know i i feel like it it's just as, as adventurous for me hiking now as i'm sure it was for them i've never lost that sense of like this is the coolest thing ever right now this very moment and i'm i'm sure as as human women they had the same mm. sense i think the the clothing and the costume stuff definitely would have been um a little more difficult had i been had i styled myself as like a 1900 hiker i i would have been wearing a lot more clothing so probably a long skirt which i know from reading about various women hiking that that was kind of an impediment in the woods to be wearing a skirt all the time um so a lot more like layers of of dress that you are expected to wear. In your archive, are there records of uh, women being part of the AMC from the beginning, or is that something that slowly, gradually took place? They actually voted to admit women at their second meeting ever. And so they started in 1876. They met once, I think, in January. And then in March, they voted to admit women because the, the initial invites had gone out to all kinds of people all over Boston, a lot of um, academics, but also, you know, upper class women that they thought would be interested in, in the idea of the club. So it was it was adopted pretty quickly. And they were fully accepted in the club? Yeah, definitely. I, all of our earliest photographs, there's 
equally men and women going on these trips. There's never any kind of like, no, this is a guys only. <laughs> Interesting. So did the AMC have an impact socially then on, say, uh, women's uh, suffrage and some of those things that you know of? Not that I know of. I haven't really looked into it yet, but they were, I mean, they were absolutely a part of the progressive era when a lot of that stuff was going on. That Women were starting to kind of stand on their own and and ask for more rights and be more involved in kind of outside society life. So we may have been a product of it as much as an influence. One of the things we're finding in the museum field right now is that, of course, many of our museums were founded by wealthy white industrialists or what have you, and the museums themselves now are uh, struggling to maintain their relevance in demographically changing communities. Do you find the same thing happening with the AMC? It was founded, I presume, by wealthy Brahmins in Boston. And, you know, how do you make it relevant for diverse audiences today? It's definitely a challenge for us. Uh, We are an aging membership. So we have um, definitely fewer younger people. We're working really hard to attract more millennials and um, even people of my age. <laughs> so it's it's kind of a hot topic for us. Diversity is a really, really big issue because, you know, within the next couple of decades, um, we're passing the environmental torch on to non-white populations. That's just the way that our country is going. Demographically, we're becoming more diverse. And we don't have a ton of diversity in our organization. So we're we're making strides kind of from the inside out right now, really taking a good hard look at who we are and what our hiring practices are and if we're being inclusive and reaching out to the best possible candidates no matter where they're coming from. Um, so it's been, you know, kind of a, I think a classic sort of struggle for us to just realize like, the world's changing, and we have to change, too. Well, do you see the a parallel? You said there's a lack of diversity in your organization. Does that reflect itself out on the trail as well? Is there a lack of diversity of people actually enjoying the uh, the wilderness, uh, nature generally, and environmental causes? Yeah, and, you know, you look at all these, all these recent studies of diversity in the national parks, and the national parks are really looking at this issue right now, too. And it's like, yeah, those are our part. Everybody is. Every single citizen of this country, those parks belong to all of us. And they, too, are saying, yeah, you know, it's it's we don't see a ton of diversity out beyond the, you know, driving loop of this park. And we want to get more people out farther out on the trails and into the wilderness. And it's it's hard because it's maybe it's not within the culture of some populations. Maybe it's a socioeconomic question. Maybe it's, you know, any number of things. So we're all kind of figuring out how to break the barrier of the, you know, the wall of trees. (laughs) How concerned are you then with uh, what is happening down in Washington right now? Your organization, the park system, and uh, many of these environmental causes were formed during that progressive period that you talked about, and it seems as though there's a complete 180 right now. Yeah, really scary. (laughs) Um, I think we're all kind of holding our breath, waiting to see what 
happens next year and where you know all this funding dollars go and every time funding comes up for environmental causes and um, land water conservation fund things like that it's always a all right now's the time to to fight it out and get everybody to be aware of what's happening and to um, really get on the ball and and get the work done so it's uh yeah it's really (laughs) nerve-wracking If museums and the AMC were to join forces over anything, what would it look like? What would we do to sort of have some kind of a common common uh, purpose? Wow. <laughs> That's a big question. <laughs> Maybe on the issue of getting people out of their comfort zones. So museums, you know, typically have this stigma of it's a place that you go to get some culture. <laughs> Like you go and you you walk through the galleries, you 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 know in some cases you pay the ticket price and you go in and you see you see as much as you possibly can because you're supposed to get this culture stuff. <laughs> um, and I think on some levels the the idea of outdoor recreation is kind of the same way it's like you get out get outside and get some fresh air because your mom told you to (laughs) so i think there's this idea of like how do we make dipping your toe in the waters of those things more appealing in this in this technological screen based era that we're currently in how do you get people out there and excited and willing participants in museums or recreation or culture in general and help them discover some little piece of that that really fits their particular interests what's your favorite museum Ooh, oh wow well i mean shelburne definitely has a piece of my heart because that was the first museum that I experienced from the inside. <laughs> like the the great thing and you know, it's so true of all museums is there's there's what everybody sees, what people that walk in the door and go through the ticket desk see. And then there's what us insiders get to see. And that place for the like ratio of stuff on display to everything else is like such a great iceberg. <laughs> Any great outdoor museums? Oh, um, I mean, the Museum of the White Mountains up at Plymouth State University is really, really cool. They have, um, they're in this decommissioned church building on campus, which is really neat. They've been around for a couple of years now. And they do really fun rotating exhibits of all kinds of mountain outdoor white mountain themes so it could be art it could be um i was actually my my costume from my hike was part of a women in the white mountains Mm -hmm. exhibit last year um or earlier this year which was really cool um they did one on trail clubs a few years ago and they built a full-size uh log three-sided hiker shelter inside the museum <laughs> which was great because you just you'd walk into this room and there's you know cool stuff on the walls and explanatory labels and stuff about history of all these different trail clubs and then there's this giant log thing <laughs> in the middle of the room um yeah so they're really cool <laughs> so if you could be given anything 
in order to sort of make your life complete or better or whatever, what would it be? <laughs> um, let's see. Lots more time. Um, I would move my archives up to the White Mountains for sure. <laughs> Just going to put a little plug in there for that. Um, I'd much rather live because I do a lot of landscape based painting and work and I'd love to really live more closely in that environment to be doing that all the time. So having my archives actually based in a place that I'd want to be painting would be just magical. <laughs> so maybe someday. So what does the future hold for you? Um, AMC, I think I'd like to stick with long term. I could, I could honestly do that forever. Um, and then just keeping with the art stuff. I can't stop doing that either. So... It's uh, life is pretty good right now, but there, there's definitely some more adventures. Well, thank you, Becky. This has been a lot of fun getting to know you, getting to see your artwork, um, and uh, getting to hear a little bit more about a kindred spirit who loves the outdoors as much as I do. Maybe more. I don't know. I don't dress up in costume when I go hiking. <laughs> well, you're so welcome. <laughs> So, Marika, what do you think? She is doing a lot. She's burning the candle at both ends, Becky is. She's an archivist, part-time for AMC, part-time for the hospital. She's a painter. She's got a lot going on. She said something about it keeps me up at night. Yeah, I know the feeling, Becky. I yeah. hope you're uh, hope you're taking care of yourself. Yeah, yeah. Part time job, full time expectations. I think a lot of folks in the museum field can relate to that. Is there something more than a full time expectation? Because I think we're actually at that. <laughs> yeah, I was particularly interested to hear how she answered the question about how the great outdoors are like museums. Now, naturally, I had to make that parallel because this is museum people and not mountain people podcast. But um, you know, she said some things that were pretty interesting there about just you know sh- the the authenticity of both the types of experiences that people get in both a museum and the great outdoors. The National Park Service is a, is a model of what to do, right? They have small exhibits in their visitor centers and as well as trying to connect people um, to the social history of the outdoors as well as the natural history of the outdoors. And mm. both are very important and people don't think about that. They think you're just going for a hike outside when it's so much more. And she really illustrated that with her her outfit. Yeah, right. Her outfit yeah. story. I love it. Yeah, it's isn't that it's an ambitious project, and it was fascinating to see how it un- unfolded. And um, yeah, kudos, Becky. Yeah, can I, you imagine the looks that she was getting on the trail? I what just, kind I of kook is this? Huh? And it's so funny because yeah. as you're hiking and, and you see somewhere someone wearing a certain kind of outfit, you're like, oh, that looks really hot or that looks itchy. And I can only imagine being completely alone up there, nobody around. Like, why am I doing this at this particular oh. moment? <laughs> Because she got those looks, she she used the opportunity to educate people, and and presumably that education spread. Right? I often talk about the work I do as being hand to hand combat, um, but that's what you're hoping for. Yeah. You talk to someone, and um, even if they don't ask you a question, maybe they go back and research it, or just you never yeah. know. Right. 
one thing that struck me about your interview with Becky was her talk about millennials. Yeah, right. And how millennials, are, they're always trying to attract millennials. And you know what? I'm trying to attract millennials. And every single cultural organization is trying to attract millennials. So where do you think they are? There's the AMC. There's the great outdoors. Now, she said that millennials are out in the great outdoors. They're treating it like their own personal fun park, perhaps, you know, where it's just charging up rocks and taking selfies and whatever. So I'm not sure that that's so much a problem, but it's translating that cohort of people that are enjoying the outdoors and actually making a commitment to join AMC for their environmental advocacy work and all the good work that they do on behalf of, uh, you know, climate change and everything else. So it's channeling the millennials that are running amok in the parks. Yeah, to just gramming it up translate that how into are they going to make some action. phone calls and, yeah mm-hmm. well but it's the same thing with museums too which is i think so fascinating with a parallel you know i mean we've got to figure out how do you you know even if somebody has an, a good experience in your museum how do you convert that into somebody that really wants to support the museum yeah you know we also have to stop thinking about millennials as being young because they're not really young anymore (laughs) right now they have their own kids and so they're bringing their kids to the parks and to the the trails and the organizations and uh maybe we should be starting to cater to the millennials with kids to try to get them that's how we get them involved she's the phrase that um we are soon passing the environmental torch to another generation you know, that we need to build support for the causes that are very, very important to her uh, and, and me and you, I'm sure, too, the environment. They're so interrelated. So you have this interview with a person who is working for the Appalachian Mountain Club on the Museum People podcast. And in a sense, the issues of environmental protection, climate change, and all of those things that the AMC is doing are, in fact, related to the cultural artistic uh, heritage history pursuits that we follow. It's all related. Of course right. it is. Everything is related. Yeah. I had a breakdown earlier this week because it's, it's 50 degrees here. <laughs> it's January. It's the yeah. last week of January. It's 50 degrees. And with everything else that's happening in the world, like Boston's going to be underwater in a few years. And no one right. seems to care about that. And it, this is where it goes back to museums. Are we saying enough? Are we standing up enough? Or are we simply, as we have in the past, just presenting both sides of the issue and saying, mm-hmm. don't know, you decide. There is this movement now to just tell people, yeah. like, climate change is a problem. Yeah. You should be worried about that. All these other things. Racism is a problem. Economic disparity is a problem. Let's talk about those things. And as museums, we can. We have the objects, we have the experts, we have the material culture, and we are now being more open where we haven't been in the past. We're opening our doors and saying, "This maybe we're not the ones to tell this story. Maybe you're the ones to tell this story. Come on in and tell it. It's a huge change, and um, hopefully now we're, we're approaching that change at, at a greater speed than we have in the past because it's it, we have to. We absolutely have to now. Yeah. Well, the world's in good hands then. All right, museum people, that's it for this episode. Get out there, get hiking, see the mountains, smell the roses. Now, definitely take your phone and take some photos. (laughs) Hashtag your your drone. Take your drone. (laughs) (laughs) Just don't, please don't step um, off the trail and take only pictures and leave only footprints. That's right. Thanks, museum people. Goodbye. Next time on Museum People. My back is 
killing me. When I was a kid, we <laughs> shoveled people's driveway. Where are those kids these oh my days? Yeah, this is hilarious. We need to be involved in our community. It's not just about us and our own little world because I feel that it's all of our responsibilities to make this world the place we want it to be, which is such a noble cause. Museum People is a production of the New England Museum Association, which connects, inspires, and empowers cultural institutions to provide their communities with deep and authentic experiences. Have an idea or comment for Museum People? Go to nemanet.org slash museumpeople to provide feedback, get information about episodes, and learn how to subscribe. Thanks for listening. 